Hello, and welcome to our latest Podcastle Spotlight. I'm Anna Schwind. And I'm Dave Thompson. Today, we're talking about Tina Connolly's Iron Skin. Tina Connolly's somebody, if you've listened to Podcastle a lot, that you've heard, heard quite a few times. You've heard her voice, you've heard her story, um, her stories, that is. And uh, we're really, really excited to be able to feature this book here at Podcastle. Tina has uh, written several stories for us. Uh, the Goats Are Going Places is, is one of uh, one of the first stories that I remember buying, and uh, it was so much fun. Um, she's had stories featured at Strange Horizons, uh, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and um, she's also read a lot of stories for us. Again, uh, The Mermaid's Tea Party is another story that we, one of the first stories that Anna and I ran, and we just love that story. And we're so happy with Tina's reading of it. But we've always kind of viewed Tina as part of the family of Podcastle, even though she doesn't she's she doesn't do stuff on a on a weekly or even monthly basis. It's always a pleasure and delight to work with her. And we're super stoked about her book being out now. We're so excited that this is the third time that we've tried to do this spotlight. So um third time's the charm. But it's it's a really cool book, guys. As uh, Dave mentioned, there's plenty of free fiction available by Tina Connolly out in the wide internet. You can look on Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Strange Horizons, or Daily Science Fiction. Additionally, she runs her own podcast called Toasted Cake. Oh, man. Toasted Cake. You guys, if you aren't listening to Toasted Cake, it is so much fun. It's short flash fiction uh, on a weekly basis. Tina reads, currently Tina reads almost everything on it and hosts it and everything, and it's just a pure delight, uh, like five to five to ten minutes each episode, so yeah, those of you complaining about our giants, hey, go check out Toasted Cake, because they can get a short little ice cream scoop That's size right. bite. So. You have an alternative. And and she, recent, she started Toasted Cake kind of as an experiment, right, Dave, and has recently decided to carry on? That's it. That's it. She started it as an experiment. Uh, she decided about two or three months ago that she was having so much fun, even though her time was very, um, even though she had a lot going on, toasted cake was not something that she wanted to give up. So she's going to be doing it for another year, and I'm really, really excited about it. Just some really great stories there. But back to today's subject, which is Tina Connolly's Iron Skin. Iron Skin is her most recent novel. It's a story about a young governess recovering from her war injuries and how she goes to this mysterious, broken-down mansion and everything that happens to her when she gets there. Let's hear what Tina has to say about Iron Skin. Hi, Dave and Anna. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me on Podcastle to talk about Iron Skin. This is a bit of a fun change for me. I'm usually here reading someone else's fiction which you probably all know by now I love doing, if you've heard me here or on Toasted Cake. But today I get to blather on about my own story. Iron Skin is my debut fantasy novel, and it just came out from tour in October. Uh, my agent pitched it as Steampunk Jane Eyre with Fairies. That's really more of a jumping-off point, as it's not precisely any of those things. I didn't set out to write a pastiche of Jane Eyre, for example. Nothing against pastiches, I love them myself. But this is more of its own story that interacts with the Jane Eyre text. Uh, the library journal said it was a tribute to, and maybe that's a good way to put it. 
Similarly, it's been tricky to precisely categorize this novel. It's been described as steampunk, gothic, urban fantasy, paranormal, and historical fantasy, not to mention as both YA and adult. It is under the regular tour label, and I might place it as secondary world fantasy. It's definitely not our England, and it's definitely not our post-World War I era, but I drew on a lot of research of those things to give it a solid sense of place. Ironskin is set five years after a devastating war between the humans and the Fae. Humans have depended on the Fae for a lot of cheap, clean technology that is now gone and the city and the country were hard hit in different ways. The city had become more reliant on trolleys and such, but the war was fought in the country because the Fae live in the forests. And into this comes Jane Elliot. Like Jane Eyre, my Jane goes to work as a governess in a strange castle for a strange family. Edward Rochart is an artist whose walls are hung with disturbingly ugly masks and his little girl Dory is fae-cursed, which is why Jane's there to begin with, not just because she's out of options, but because she's cursed too. So Jane was in the war five years ago, and she was hit by fae shrapnel that ruined, as, as well as cursed, one side of her face. The fae curses leak poisonous emotions, fear, anger, depression. Jane's curse is rage. And unless she covers her curse with iron, it poisons everyone around her. There were a number of these casualties during the war, and they're known as the Iron Skin. So when Jane hears that Dory's fake curse, she thinks she can help her as she was helped through counseling and Iron Skin. But what Jane finds on the Grey Moors is not a little girl with a simple fake curse, but rather a girl who is quite strange who has powers similar to the frightening fae, the ones that killed Jane's brother that destroyed her life. And as Jane stays in the country determined to help Dory, well, secrets are revealed, and the ground shifts under her as everything she thinks she knows about the world is upended. Ironskin was a change of pace for me. Um, if you've heard one of my stories on Podcastle, then you know what I've mostly been doing for the last decade short stuff. I naturally write short, but around 2008 I decided to really buckle down at learning how to write long form. So I wrote a couple middle grades and then a YA getting successively longer. When I decided I was ready to write something even longer and structurally more complex, uh, I wanted to do something different than what the projects I had just been working on, and I decided to pull out a novella that had been a uh, finalist at Writers of the Future. The novella had grown out of the image of a girl who walks into a studio at midnight and sees a clay mask of her own face looking up at her. Her own face, but beautiful. There had been a lot of stuff left over from that novella that wouldn't squeeze into it. And there were certainly a lot of themes there in that story that I had a lot more to say about. I was at Kish Johnson's novel workshop this summer with an outline for a brand new novel, one that won't be written for a couple more years, probably. And I was trying to explain to everybody that, well, you know, it's all about beauty and power and feminism. And, and then I said, wait, that's Ironskin. So 
there are these themes that I come back to that I still want to keep exploring. I also tend to write over and over about the way families interact. I have a very good family that I like very much, but uh, the tug of war between siblings and parents really interests me, particularly, I suppose, how we decide in what ways we're responsible for each other and when we have to let go. Jane has a sister, Helen, but we only see Helen through Jane's eyes. And, of course, all narrators are unreliable because all people are. Jane is not particularly unreliable, but still, there are always great gaps between us and the ones we love. I'm really just interested in what people do, why they do what they do, I guess, whether at the level of the individual or society, and this is why I love extensive world building so much. I tend to have a lot of world building, even in very short stories, which is probably why they take me forever to write. So now that I've gotten more of a handle on novel length, I'm getting kind of obsessed with the scope of the longer form. There's just so much you can do, which is amazing. I spent a long time thinking over the world of Ironskin, uh, what the loss of all this great technology five years ago would have done to everybody, you know, where the rebuilding would have occurred and so on, and, you know, what problems that causes in society where the gaps in society have become greater. I used familiar fashions from between our wars to help signify that just because we've gone to a castle on the moors in this book, we're not in the 1800s. Um, and I got to develop uh, the dwarven for this too. I wanted them to contrast against the fae. My dwarves are engineers, but they're also poets and writers and readers of ridiculously swashbuckling gothic novels. <laughs> uh, as always happens with novel releases, most of the original work on this book was done two to three years ago. I've been working on the sequel this year and most of last, not to mention toddler wrangling and moving to a fixer house. <laughs> so I've been in the world of the story, but it's been really fascinating to get to just completely revisit the first book and talk more in depth to folks about some of the things I was trying to do. Thanks so much to Dave and Anna for inviting me for this podcast spotlight. And thanks to all of you for letting me share a little bit about my book. And welcome back. Thanks so much, Tina, for doing this. Um, like Tina mentioned, one of the things that this story is based on uh, is Jane Eyre. And <laughs> I've got to be honest, uh, I, I've talked about how much I love Jane Austen and everything, but Jane Eyre is one of those that I've never read before. Uh, and I can honestly say that for those of you who are a little bit we're wary of this book because of that influence. You you don't need to be because I've never read Jane Eyre and uh, had no trouble enjoying this book. So I, I think that if you if you're worried about that, you really don't need to be. You can still check it out. I agree. I certainly don't think it's necessary to have read Jane Eyre, even though if you have read it, you can see the aspects of Jane Eyre that Tina is in conversation with. I really thought the book was strongest with the pieces that. Tina brought to the table pieces that had nothing to do with Jane Eyre. So, for example, you just heard her mention the Fae, and she mentioned the family background. The family background depicted is completely different from what's shown in Jane Eyre. So, um, 
And the family interaction is probably the most interesting piece, in my opinion, um, of the novel. Her relationships with her sister and also her relationship with her dead mother and her dead brother. Okay. People are dead. I think you find out pretty early on people are dead. You find out from the first chapter, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So not too much of a spoiler. Um, When they get killed by the fae. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of dead in this book. Moving on. There was just a war. Um, Okay. So anyways, the family interaction, as far as I'm concerned, is the guts of the story. And And it's what holds the story together. It's the glue. And that part specifically has nothing to do with Jane Eyre. And it's very compelling. So no, you definitely do not need have read Jane Eyre. Also, there are no fairies in Jane Eyre. Oh, but there are fairies in this book. Uh, and that was, I mean, th- I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the worlds, the world building and the worlds that are created. And I loved how this world felt. It felt like a very um, post-World War I kind of world. Um, except that the war was not with not with other countries, but with the Fae. Um, so, yeah, if we, we've run stories that have kind of kind of flirted with that some, and it was and people really seem to like it. So, um, if if you're into uh, reading, I wouldn't call it an apocalyptic fairy story, but a story after the fairy war. Uh, this was rad. And what I loved about it was that the fairies in the story were not the um, the you know the very nice uh, Tinkerbell fairies from Disney Tinkerbell fairies I should say that that we've come to uh, know and love at least here in America they were the very uh, more traditional uh, terrifying fairies um, they would they would create the shrapnel uh, or these fae bombs and the shrapnel is what would as I think Tina was just talking about this actually the shrapnel is what would hit uh, Jane and and curse her with a fey curse. Um, and, and they're just, they're just really, really mean, uh, really, really nasty. And, uh, I, I love that. I love that take on fairies. I love that, you know, it seems like we're getting to see that more in literature now than we were say, uh, five or 10 years ago. So my favorite aspect of the way that Tina chose to depict the fey was how, completely alien they are to humans. Yeah. Their worldview is genuinely other to the worldview of the humans. And this is revealed by um, in just in little bits and pieces as the story goes on, you, you piece together the war and what happened to the war before the war and what led up to the world. War And when the history of what has happened up to this point is revealed as it is little by little, when you realize what the Fae did in order to attempt to avert the war and not start the war and what sorts of things they were construing as uh, human aggression and when it becomes sort of clear what their plan was, which revolved, their plan for averting the war revolves around appeasement. And it's a completely ludicrous plan on its face. I mean, it would never work. And when you read that, 
internally you're thinking, well, no one in their right mind could have thought that this would work. And that's exactly the point. That is the point. They are not bodies in their right mind. They are fey, and they're fundamentally different than we Coming are. at it from a totally different perspective than people would. Yes, and I found that so interesting. And yet, even so, even though they are completely other and disembodied, basically, they are not of the flesh. Even with all that, when the whole sad story is revealed, you can sympathize with them because you do sympathize with their predicament. Right, right. Did you want to address some of the themes that you were particularly interested in? Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about some of the some of the themes really quick. One of the things that I really loved about this is um, the 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 take on it that it had and the beauty inside of us, and uh, versus the the superficial beauty, which is not something. I mean, it's a it's a very, I guess in in this case, it's kind of a very old fashioned theme. But um, it's not something that that I really read a lot about um, currently, and it, it was a really nice. Um, it, it was a really nice look at that. It's certainly now. fairy tale appropriate, right? <laughs> it's it's hearkening back to those fairy tales, which are always about don't be deceived by appearances, and the, uh, you know, for example, an example that comes to mind is. Snow White and the mirror and the who's the most beautiful and is what is inside related to what is outside or can they become detached from one another? Right. It just, just really, really cool. Um, there's also a lot of, of, a lot of discussion about masks in the story. Um, and I love, I love the images of Jane, uh, the protagonist looking at different, looking at different masks um, I, I love how Tina says that this story was brought on from an image of a girl looking at a mask of herself that she thinks is beautiful, or she herself is not. So, I mean, it, all those themes were really, felt, even though they were traditional fairy tale themes, they all felt very fresh to me, and I really enjoyed it. So while we're talking about themes, another theme that uh, was of interest to me particularly was the mm. theme of anger. So um, the primary character, Jane, she has this curse of anger. And uh, what I really enjoyed, um, and other people have other curses, you know, hunger, uh, rage, uh, uh, despair. So uh, not all the curses are the same, but they're all based in sort of visceral, emotional um, states. And Jane's is anger. And what I really, really, really cherished about this book was its proposition, its fundamental proposition, that anger is not a solely negative emotion, that there are uses for anger, that anger, in fact, um, is sometimes better expressed than kept in and is uh, useful for getting things done and that um, actually suppressing anger could be damaging to yourself. Um, that's not the trope that we most commonly see, and we especially, and when sort of juxtaposed with this very proper society, um, this very 
pre-industrial kind of pseudo-Victorian where we know that manners is king and that women's voices are suppressed and certainly never to be heard in anger, when this sort of acceptance of anger is juxtaposed with the setting, it's a very powerful message. And I was very, and I think that probably that piece of the message is why some people are sometimes identifying this Mm. book as young adult. I think that theme uh, because it may be particularly suited to adolescent anger. She's always angry. Anger. I'm always angry. Anna. Um, Anna and is it's always good. angry. It, and it has a use. <laughs> I've seen it's her. It's not just out worthless. I can do something with this anger. All right, so we want to talk about secondary characters right now because we're always talking about secondary characters in these spotlights. Um, for some reason, like- that's right. In Ab- in Abraham's book and in Saladin's book, uh, all of these books that we have talked before, we have raved about the secondary characters, and apparently that's something we're very fond of because Iron Skin is no. Well, it just seems yeah. It it just seems to make the the world and and the characters just feel so much more lived in and rounded richer. out and 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 definitely yeah. richer. Yeah, and there's a really cool Iron, secondary Iron Skin is no exception. Well. It has a very excellent secondary character called Pool, and Pool is a sort of half dwarven uh, housekeeper. Oh, butler. She's the butler, right? She's. She's the butler, butler. so she's this half-dwarven butler, and she's way more than she seems, and um, she drives a really hard bargain uh, with um, Jane at one point in the book, but also is constantly, um, is, is like a signpost or a guide light for her, gives her excellent advice and kind of looks out for her. Um, they have something in common, uh, Poole and Jane, and which is their love for books, and that plays out very nicely, very rewarding sort of way. Um, Poole is uh, also clearly proactive. Some of the events in the book are sort of set into motion by Poole, so she's not just, you know, uh, setting. She's an active part of the story, and she's great. She's very enjoyable. But Anna, are there, can you think of other very, I don't know, very popular dwarf characters who are female? I mean, that was one of the things that, that also stood out to me. I can think of a lot of, when I think of dwarves, I can, I can think of, uh, you know, a lot of characters like Tyrion Lannister, Thorin, or Gimli, or, uh, lots of, lots of dwarf characters, but I have a hard time coming up with female Right, because your archetypal dwarf characters are from Tolkien and all of that is boys and only boys unless unless you're right. pretty Galadriel um, <laughs> you just get stuck with boys um, but but I mean that that seems like a like a tradition that's you know, unfortunately right continued. and maybe I mean, I, I, in contemporary literature I can't think of too much and maybe that's a deliberate uh, sort of a writing of the scales that Tina is attempting to do. I don't know. She didn't mention that specifically, but whatever it is, it is delightful. She's competent. She's, she's like her own little James Bond. She is awesome. Well, and I think, I think it ties back into, to the theme of beauty and, you know, 
versus what's on the outside and what's on the inside and and how competent and like you were saying how James Bond she is uh even though you know she doesn't look like yeah, James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Anyways, she's a very enjoyable character and if nothing else you will get a kick out of pool but i'm sure that you will find more that is worthwhile in iron skin because we certainly did so get the book read it enjoy it thanks for taking the time to download the spotlight give it to all your friends who like downton abbey tell them it's downton abbey but with fairies and dwarfs awesome there you go (laughs) check it out thank you so much for listening we will see you guys again very soon And uh, have a good one. Have a great one. Goodbye.